I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Welcome to the show today. Today we have on Steve Witt, and I'm excited about this show, as I mostly am always excited about all the shows because I love these conversations that we're having with people about hearing God's voice. But Steve has planted churches for 39 years, and he uh, right now is the the head of Bethel Cleveland, which is related to Bethel Church in Redding, California. And they started in 1996, but it transitioned into becoming a Bethel uh, later than that, of course. But he's an author. He's an international speaker. But I want to have him on because he trains people. He trains revivalists, and he's been around, you know, the the old vineyard movement and just a lot of the charismatic movements that were more of the the ones that I've been around as I've been growing up and as I've been seeing things. And so I've heard his name since I was a teenager. And then we met, you know, several years ago, and I was just so excited to meet him because there's there's some th- pieces that he carries of the puzzle, so to speak of what God wants to do in this next generation and what God, how God moves and, and how we can have sustainable moves. He's not only been in it for a long time, but he's been reproducing lots of different people to, to have an impact around them, especially through the Church Mountain, which is awesome. I love this. So we're going to have a great conversation today. Come join us. It was done at one of our live events when we were doing our either, um, I think, no, we did this when we were in, in Cleveland. We were doing this in our live event in Cleveland, which is really exciting. So come Join the conversation and listen. You're going to love his perspective, as do I. Before we do this, we have a quick offer for you. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, your host, Sean Bowles here. I just want to tell you about some of the resources we're carrying right now. You know, the prophetic is something you really have to grow into, and you have to take a deliberate, intentional pursuit to go on this journey to hear God this way. And I've created a devotional. It's a 90-day journey into the prophetic where we take excerpts from books like Transiting God and God's Secrets and the other books that I've written, and we put them together with questions that will cause you to reflect on different subjects you may not have ever thought this way before. I want to encourage you to get exploring the prophetic devotional now at a retailer near you. So no further ado, I'm going to invite Steve to come on up. And I have a microphone for you right here. I won't get you sick. I'm, I'm not contagious, just my children are. Well, I am so excited to be here. I was with you guys about uh, a year ago, or a year and a half ago, and I got to see what you're building in your church and just the culture. And, Loved it because I'm, I'm my home away from home church is Bethel and uh, Redding, California. You guys kind of took on some of that banner and took on some of the, you know that torch, and you've done it so well. Like just the love, the community, but the the supernatural, the feeling of God. And I think that a lot of that I can attribute it to your encounters of just how you and God and your wife as well. You've just been following Him in such a beautiful way for so long. So thank you for doing that first of all. Yes. And is your microphone on? Yes. Boom. Okay. Yay. So um, there's several journeys I want to talk about or several stories I want to talk about. But before we go there, how did you, I mean, I, I know at one point you weren't here. And then how did you end up coming back to Cleveland and starting what you have now? Yeah. Long story short, uh, it was probably uh, 1983. 
God gave me a very clear vision about New Brunswick, Canada, where my wife is from. And uh, he, long story short again, <laughs> the Holy Spirit gave me a clear view that if I moved there, again, I was not the only person, but that I would be a part of something that would open up and touch the nations of the world out of Canada. So we packed up our family, we moved there, it was a thousand miles, New Brunswick, got settled in, planted a church, and nothing happened. I mean, like, wow. like eight years of, I shouldn't say eight years of nothing, I mean, we had a lot of great time, <laughs> but we were, we were not growing real strong, and it was, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a challenging uh, religious part of the world, you know, and, uh, but uh, after eight years, they sent me on a sabbatical, they probably saw that I needed it, and uh, so I came down in the U.S., and actually the day I crossed into the U.S. from Canada is the day the Toronto Blessing broke out. Wow. Yeah, so I tell people when I leave, something's really going <laughs> to happen. Oh, my you know? God. So I went down. I was meeting with Rick Joyner, and uh, a guy got a phone call, and he's hearing all of what's going on in Toronto. And I thought, shoot, I'm not, I want to hurry up and get through the sabbatical and get home, you know, and, and see what's going on in Canada. So I had to wait eight more weeks. Got wow. back to Canada, went to Toronto, and my life was totally just transformed in Toronto. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's so amazing. So what was life after Toronto like for you? Well, for a good two years, it was, it was utter bliss. I mean, it was uh, seriously, it, uh, ministry totally shifted. Um, I tell people I was baptized in the spirit of I don't care. And, uh, <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I, I just didn't care. I mean, I cared about people. I just didn't care about all the trappings and the flow and what had happened before and our meetings were so easy it was just i mean it was literally a holy spirit come time and and you just followed whatever he was doing you know how many of you were affected by toronto at all anybody here so we have quite a few people so those of you who don't know what toronto outpouring was millions of people came because the holy spirit was visiting this church in toronto this little local church in toronto that that literally hosted the presence of god and they would have nightly meetings i think five nights a week or Almost every they night. They started out every night but Monday. Yeah, every and, night but Monday. And they had five million pe- or two million people in the first four or five years. I forget. And they would just come. And like, if you know, how many of you know Heidi Baker? So Heidi, before Toronto, was just a missionary that had a lot of passion, a little bit of a messiah complex. After Toronto got healed and delivered of her systematic theology degree and performance and began to move the spirit that now is the fastest growing missions movement in the world, 40,000 plus churches. That's one other fruit besides Steve of Toronto. So Toronto's had a major impact on so many people. It's been a before and after moment for so many people. So if you haven't heard about it, they just celebrated their 25th anniversary. I was actually with them, which was nice in January. But let's go back to this. So so life after, you didn't care, a couple of years. Did you go back to that part of Canada, or did you come back, did you end up coming out here? Well, I was in Toronto, and I got pretty involved very quickly because oh, okay. I was there early on. So I was a part of the apostolic team with Heidi and uh, John Arnott. Nice. And uh, so then we started a movement, Partners in Harvest, out of that. Absolutely. And so yeah. I was still living in New Brunswick with our church, and our church was growing at that point. Like Once the Holy Spirit showed up, wow. all bets were off. You know, it just really took off. People come from all over the region have a regional impact, and, and it, right at that time, uh, probably about a year and a half into that part of it, the Lord said, I, w- I want you to go back to Cleveland. And I thought, uh, you know, if you get out of Cleveland and you escape, typically you don't come back. <laughs> so, so I, uh, you know, I thought, well, I, this is major, I need, because I really just told the Lord, I'll stay here the rest of my life if you want me, want me to. Wow. I was there from a prophetic word since fifth grade. So it went oh. way back. And uh, it's at that time when I really committed, the Lord said, it's time to go. 
And uh, so he gave me major prophetic confirmation through Mike Bickle, all kinds of people. I mean, there, it, was, it was weird. Wow. And, and it, Bill Hammond, it was in about a three-month period where like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going back. You know, was that- Unpack that a little bit, because I'm going to camp on that, because I feel like that's a major move. You're in the height of the Toronto, super successful. Your church is finally growing. You have eight years without kind of a move of the Spirit. Then you have a move of the Spirit. Cleveland isn't a place in your brain that you're thinking, there's a move of God. Yeah. You're in the middle of it. How, what did God say that actually made it compelling enough to come back here? Well, there's a number of things. First thing, someone just said something. Bill, uh, Mike Bickle actually sat down with me and he said, you need a bigger city. Wow. And, and, you know, I thought that was a, that felt like a very earthy kind of comment, you know. <laughs> and the more I meditate on it, I thought, yeah, I kind of do. I really feel, I'm feeling a little bit claustrophobic. Although, you know, we, we were having conferences. This is in a little town of 100,000 in eastern Canada. We were on conferences of 1,600. Wow. And everybody was coming there. We invited Wimber. He came. Everybody came. I mean, John Paul Jackson. We, and, and the funny thing is United Church of Canada paid for it all. Wow. Which, which they're very liberal-leaning kind of a church, but it was a long story, but they got the money and let us spend it, and we had a great time just That's amazing. <laughs> bringing people in. For, and we had to spend it within seven years, you know? So we were, we were having everybody in, and it was sowing seed. <laughs> So, you know, I really was, I was like, this is amazing. And then uh, I was on a, a flight to Japan. We were doing some, we, we, we went in teams of like 10 or 12 out of Toronto. And we would go and it would be, at that time, and you know, you go in the world and if you're from Toronto, even if you're in the maintenance guy, they wanted you to come speak. Oh, yeah. Because you were there. Like you know, right you heard it, you felt it, you saw yeah. it, you know. And so we would go in teams, we'd rotate, and there would be thousands of people. Korea, Taiwan, uh -huh. Japan, get up and preach. And preaching was like the most minor part of the night. I mean, preaching's great, it was powerful, but the Holy Spirit was just blasting people, you know, it was healing them and touching them. And, and so you preach kind of quick and people would be laughing and weeping while you're, it was very awkward. I learned really how to preach during that time because there's, there's you know, 500 people laughing and a couple hundred weeping and People. That was one of the phenomenal things to me because I, I remember going up to different churches that were part of the Toronto Blessing and I cut my teeth learning how to minister around that time. Yeah. But we weren't a Toronto-based church where I was with Mike Bickle and I'd be preaching and all of a sudden like 50 people over here are scream laughing. Yeah. And I'm like, do I keep going or do I stop? <laughs> or I mean, I think this is good. It feels good, but everyone's wants not good. Like it was just really, but it was so beautiful. So I just a lot of times would stop and be like, I just want them to have... Whatever's happening on them is more important than what I'm saying. So a lot of times, pastors and ministers would actually just submit mm -hmm. to and go, okay, go, let, let's see what a God will do, which was a new model. They've oh, really yeah, it was an amazing that. time. And I realized it wasn't like a permanent model, yeah. but it was, we were, we were pulling the rod in a different direction, yeah. you know, and, uh, and bringing a new balance into the church, which I think is really necessary. And so then, you know, I had, again, lined up people that were giving me words, Cleveland, you were going back to Cleveland, I thought, I, and, and finally, Graham Cook, I was in Toronto actually uh, speaking and Graham Cook sat down with breakfast and he says, so you're going to go back to Ohio, you know? And I'm like, I haven't been telling anyone that, you know? And he said, yeah. And then he gave me this whole word about what would happen when I got back here. And that was, that was 22 years ago. Wow. So, yeah. And, you, you know, we are in 2016 as a city in Cleveland, we, the only way I can describe it is the... I feel the soul of our city was recalibrated wow. for the good. And, uh, but it took, I was here 20 years 
So it wasn't just me, obviously. It's people like CJ and many others that were involved in this, and, and well, God really brought okay, something Okay, you, you can't make a statement like that and not tell us what happened. How was the soul of a city recalibrated? Well, you know, I don't know. I write a book on it, but it, uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it, happened, it happened the night that the, the Cavaliers won the NBA championship. Uh, and, uh, I never heard that happen, really? Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, we're still bitter toward the Warriors. <laughs> I won't bring up any other teams. It's all good. I'm, I'm in Cleveland. So it, it, you got to understand, I mean, I've, I was born and raised here. And so this city is a tough, gritty, Midwestern Rust Belt city. And we went over 50 years without a championship of any sort. Wow. I, I mean, I'm talking in the major, you know, baseball, football. And, and we, we actually, we confessed our errors. Like we had T-shirts that talked about all the errors that we made in different sports. Oh my gosh. You know, the, the drop and all these different things, you know, and, and we kind of celebrated that, you know, we were last. <laughs> and we were called the mistake on the lake. And it was, you know, all the, the uh, comedians would joke about Cleveland. And so there was a real need, but nobody, no individual could lift this thing. This is, this is kind oh. of ancient in our yeah. world. And when that happened that night, I remember I was in a, a pub down on 25th Street uh, because it was out of town at that little place out in California where that other team was playing. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know so where it's at. We're watching, and it gets down. I don't know if you watched it or not, but it was the last 10 seconds. I'm now remembering it. Remember I, LeBron fell. It wasn't as big of a deal as it was to me as for you. Oh, no, it was, it was, it, we got out of purgatory that night. It was amazing. But the LeBron's laying on the floor holding his uh, hand, and yeah. we're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is, this is going to be added to our T-shirts. Another, another almost, you know. And then he got up, a basket was made, and there was this, like, there was this pause in the, in the pub I was in. It was packed, shoulder to shoulder. And there was this, like, pause, and everyone was like, really? And then it went, poom! I mean, oh, it just man. blew up. And people were pouring out in the streets, and we are walking down the street, and you could feel the difference. Wow. And so now we're champions. It doesn't matter if we ever win again, but we're going to. If we never win again, yeah. it, it shifted the soul yeah. And since then, uh, and also we had the Republican National Convention, other things that came in that kind of built onto that uh, as far as the city's growth, the civil, uh, civic aspect wow. of the city. So uh, I'm really convinced that, that something happened then, and now it's just up to the city to say amen to it and agree with it and get our heads into this recalibration. And uh, now millennials are moving. The city's actually growing right now which it didn't since 1952. I think we were in a 50-year slide. We lost a half a million people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we went from one million city center, uh, pop, uh, popular uh, quarter of the city, to about 440,000 over Oof. a 50-year period. So it was draining. We hear all these other cities, they're adding 10, 20, 30,000 a year. Uh, yeah, those are, those are Clevelanders those are that are going out there, you know? <laughs> and so we, we uh, touched bottom uh, a few years back, and now it's starting to move up and people are actually interested in coming in the city. Wow. There's uh, building cranes all over the city now. Buildings are going up. It's an outward sign of what I believe is an inward change that God's bringing to the city. Amen. Wow. And it's not just a civic revival. It's a spiritual revival. Well, let's kind of, I want to go into that a little bit because you're believing. I mean, I love hearing this and I know this is just part of who you are is you're talking about not your church. You're talking about yeah. your city and your region. And you're, there's something inside of you that when you came back here, you didn't come to plant a church, you came here to pastor a city, mm. be a part of that. I could feel that in you. 
what do you think God wants to do out of the city? Like, give us a bit. Because I think people who are listening, especially other pastors or people who are like, I love my city. Like, a lot of people have loyalty. If you're, if you're from L.A., even if you've only been there for two years, you act like you've been there all your life. It's like, oh, I've been from L.A. You either hate L.A. because you don't live there. You're like, no, Sean, L.A.'s not good. You live there for two years. The rest of your life, you want to get back there. That's just how we say I mean, it's amazing. And so, but, so a lot of people listen to this language, but they haven't actually put the prophetic or the God spin on it, where it's like, actually, there's redemptive purposes in cities, and we're supposed to know those. We're supposed to be in agreement with those things. So what are you guys believing for? A lot of things, you know, for Ohio, especially there's, it's, uh, Ohio has such a key role in so many things in the United States. Uh, politically, it's a, it's a swing state. I mean, uh, I think it was when Bush was running, uh, uh, W. Bush, he came here something like 17 times. I remember. So there was, we get flooded, President Obama, they all come here because they know as Ohio goes, the nation will go. It's kind of like Florida and Ohio. And so, and we have so many famous inventors, uh, invented people out of this state, like Thomas Edison. Uh, we've got uh, Neil Armstrong, first walk on the moon, John Glenn, first orbit the earth. We've got the Wright brothers who came out of here. We got uh, basically the, the seeds of the book uh, that ended the, or started the Civil War. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin came right out of Cincinnati. So you start looking at the history here and you say, well, this is not just a, this is not an ordinary experience here. In Cleveland, We've got the number one heart hospital in the country. So we believe that, that God is restoring something with race relations specifically. We believe that there, I believe that healing is coming out of this city to this nation. And uh, we were confessing that when there were riots going on all over the country. And they were expecting it during the Republican convention. There were no riots. There, were in, there was in Philadelphia, but not in Cleveland. And they said that they reported on the news, it's one of the calmest uh, political conventions in modern history. Wow. And, it was, and they said it was in Cleveland. Go figure, you know. So During Trump. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah, crazy. That's, that's, that's crazy. So there's been major reconciliation going on here, and you can feel it bubbling up, but there's an innova- innovative, inventing spirit upon this city. There's, there's a, we have an infrastructure that is actually larger than our population. So we are advanced in the sense because of what happened to us. We're advanced that we could take two, 300,000 people into the city very quickly and absorb it because of our freeways, our, our housing, and, and things like that. So I really feel God's preparing us. Uh, he showed me years ago that there's, a, there's some crisis coming that, that are going to cause people to move into cities rapidly. And I think Cleveland's going to be a city of refuge. That's, that's the bottom line. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I have a secret. I was born at Wright Pat Air Force Base. Oh. And so I only lived there for four months. You're an Ohio boy. I'm an Ohio boy. A Buckeye. <laughs> so it's actually a secret I tell everybody, but it's just interesting hearing all of that because I've heard that this region is like, there's more patents in Ohio yes. filed than in any other state. So what I've heard, I don't, I've never researched it. But there's, and I heard innovation. And I love that because yeah. actually I went to Disney Studios and I met with some Imagineers and like I met five people in a row who were Imagineers who were all from Ohio. And I was like, what is happening? And they're like, oh yeah, we're just all innovators there. We're all just, you know, we, we just create. And I thought, I'm from Ohio, yes, you know. Even though I've never lived here. I'm like, you know, that's amazing. Well, Graham Cook prophesied over us in 98 and it was an epic word. It's gone all over this city that this city would be the city of God's dreams. And, it, and he had this big, long 
list of why that was, and it was denominations coming together, uh, races coming together. Eth- wow. we're, we're the third most ethnic diverse city in the United States. We've got, we've got pockets of everything around the world wow. here, and that's coming together, and God's using it as a place, almost like a, uh, an incubator of eth- ethnic groups that can rapidly be deployed to the nations because they already speak the language, they know the culture. So uh, just a little touch of revival on this city and people will go all, all over the world. So also Rick Joyner back in the mid 80s prophesied over the 12 cities of refuge. I don't know if you remember that. I remember that, that, yeah. And then he said, no, it's actually 11 cities and a state. And the state is Ohio. So, uh, yeah, we, we believe that this, Ohio means something beautiful. That's what it means. Wow. And it's an Iroquois word from way back. And it's just got this, we're, we're between a lake and a river. We've got mountains in between, cornfields, and we've got three mighty cities with a bunch of medium-sized cities. We feel, we feel we're poised for the nations of the world. And so we're wow. training people now. And I, I feel personally 2019 is a ramp up year. Wow. And the 2020 to 2030, we're going to see tens of thousands. Heidi Baker said uh, in 09, she said, right here, right here in this city, she said, hundreds of thousands are about to be swept into the kingdom of God. And I did the interview and I said, Heidi, you know, because we're used to hearing that about everywhere else. I said, you mean here? And she said, right here in Cleveland. Okay, are you guys, are you like taking this in? Yeah. I mean, this is your interview. Are you taking this in your spirit? Like this is... He's, he's re-prophesying prophecy. <laughs> That's right. so good. It's like, and some of you haven't been as aware. I think one of the things I'm going to deal with later when we do our time, and I'm just saying it for the podcast's sake, is that so many times we get overly familiar with what God's not doing, or we're in a right. season where we're not keeping, like Mary, pondering and treasuring the word of the Lord in our heart. And so we actually become numb, and we get that mentality of, I've been there and I've done that. So we hear of something happening at a church down the street, and we've already done it in our hearts, not knowing it's a new thing. So I want to I really like caution us in this time. Like You're hearing epic words that I don't hear everywhere. Like Some of the people who have sown prophetically into your city are saying these things. This is crazy. Like, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm dreaming of more people coming. I mean, LA is one of the most prophesied cities in the world, but it's all negative. So if you Google LA prophecy, it's all like, you will go in the ocean, you're going to have an earthquake, you're going to, I mean, I love this, this is so good. Okay, let's get a little personal now. Well, I'm holding back, by the way, there's so much more, but I know we have short time, but I mean, there is, there's a massive weight of prophetic promise over this city and over this state. And I I tell people all the time, it's not a good time to leave because we are right at the door. Yeah. And, and how would you feel to have your hand on the, the doorknob and then go somewhere else and then hear, oh, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. I hate when that happens. Yeah. So that it'd be an amazing time and we really feel that we're gonna be a part of the global harvest that God's bringing forth. And I, I love that. There's two observations on that. One is, can you imagine if Steve hadn't gone to Toronto and he had moved away or got out right before that and just went somewhere normal? And that's what it would be like for some of the people who would, are jumping ship now, maybe yes. from the church, or I don't want to go to church anymore. There's so many people who don't go to church anymore. And I just think God loves to use the container of the church. It's not the only way he moves, but it's the primary way he moves. So church is so important. I just think a lot of people jump ship right before the best things happen. It's yes. so sad. I know. Like it's commit- but the second thing is I really think you personally, you really are a record keeper. You really are somebody who, as a father in the spirit, 
it's holding us accountable to what God said. And I think some people who are listening to the podcast or some people who are listening here, you can learn from someone like Steve, who's a father, who has kept accurate representation of what God said and has stood on it and is depending on it. Like his faith is in these words, he's depending on it. And we need to learn how to tell our stories. One of the things I love about Lou Engle, and who's a mutual friend of this house and our oh. church, and um, I, I'm on the team with the, those guys, is that he's an excellent keeper of the prophetic story of God in his own life. Yeah. And I think if we don't keep those stories, no one will work for us. Did you know that? No one's going to keep your faith for you. No one can manage your faith for you. No one can prophesy your faith for you. And, but man, if you can learn how to manage these stories, they become a driving force where even if you don't feel it, you feel it. And so I really love what I'm hearing from you because I, I, it, it's actually really inspiring me to go, okay, God, if I was supposed to tell the story of Los Angeles right now, I wouldn't do as good of a job as what Steve just did because you've carried it with so much love and so much honor. And I just, it, it convicts me like to my core. I'm like, I need to be one who can tell my city's story. I need to be one who stands in front of our city leaders and says, this is who you are and with the, the same kind of authority. You're just matter of fact. And that makes it more powerful because it's so deep. Well, Graham Cook, when he prophesied that city of God's dreams in 98, he said the, the church of God's dreams would emerge in the city of God's dreams. So the church that's about to emerge here, and this is one of them right here that we're sitting in, there's, I mean, there's so much going on in our city right now that hasn't been going on. And God is behind the scenes right now. We're very excited about God. God is always on the movies. You know, scratch a little bit, you're gonna see something under the surface, regardless of how bad it feels. And I would say that we, uh, maybe outside of Detroit, We've had one of the most devastating city experiences probably in modern history. Wow. So, uh, you know, with the uh, 08 uh, meltdown, the, uh, the uh, crisis with uh, banking and so forth, we were devastated by that. And Detroit was destroyed by it. So God is, is shifting some things around. And Rust is actually cool now, so we're pretty excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> we were just in Detroit like two nights ago, and it was, or three nights ago. And it was so awesome. We had 1,700 people who were like going for it, who only had the most amazing stories you've ever heard. And I was like, this is so good. I'm so glad to be here. Because we sowed it in Detroit right after a lot of the recession and stuff. We were in different places with leaders. And it, was, it really was like, so we weren't here. We never connected to you guys at that time. But I know that America, the level of hit and hopelessness and hope deferred that mm. was there, it's so good to hear these stories because it's so beautiful to know that the places that are hit the hardest are actually the ones who are, marked out for glory, the greatest. It's just true. I mean, like, it's just, if you see, like, Congo, Congo's the most minerally rich country of all of the African countries, and the enemy is like, let's destroy it, because if it gets in power, it could change the continent. Wow. You know, it's the same thing as, you know, Cleveland and, and Ohio and Detroit and, and Michigan. It's like these places that got so hit, wow. and there's, there was so much of the, you know, these opiate crisis, these things that are happening, and then all of a sudden you go, but then there's the God spin. That's right. And when God comes and overshadows all of that with yes. his goodness. Okay, I'm going to get personal, though. I was about okay. to do it a minute ago. Because you had written a note, and I didn't understand what the note was in our interview notes. And it was about a cancer, like a sickness. Was that about you? Like, tell me that story, because there was some prophetic story attached to it. Yeah, 06, I was diagnosed with uh, incurable non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oof. And uh, I was actually in Toronto when I got the call from the doctor. He said, you have cancer, and I, I almost passed out. I was with Steve Long wow. up there in uh, Toronto, and uh, they prayed for me. I was getting ready to speak. I just preached a message, what will you do 
when you walk on the glass floor because of the, I was up in the CN Tower and they have a glass floor and it yeah. freaks people out when they walk out on it. Yeah, I've been on that. Because yeah. you think you're going to fall. And uh, so I preached this whole message and immediately the Lord said, well, you're on the glass wow. floor. <laughs> so my son drove me home. I got home. I was still in shock over the whole thing. And, you know, I didn't know staging and all that. So anyway, they work it out, stage three, you know, and non-incurable. And so uh, I went through some quarterly treatments. They were kind of, it was like weed whacking. You know, they push it back and then it would come back, push it back. And that's just the way they treated it because uh, there was no cure. And then uh, I was in ministering in England in 2012 and I fell twice. You know, just, I'd never done that where I just kind of fell down. I got up and I thought, well, this is really weird. You know, I got home, went to a doctor. My uh, Indian doctor came out. He was as white as a sheet. I mean, he just said, he said, you, the cancer has come back. And I said, where is it? He says, it's everywhere. <sighs> and so, um, so anyway, he referred me to someone else, uh, a stem cell, a bone marrow trans- transplant uh, oncologist at the Cleveland Clinic. I went to him and... And he said, uh, and I asked him, I said, well, what are my options? He says, well, you have no options. This is, this is your option. So I'm, I'm always a realist. And I said, okay, where do I sign up? And he said, well, first you have to qualify. So he took me through all these qualifications, which was make sure my heart, lungs, and everything's ready for it. And then they started hitting me with chemo and they went out. But what happened was in 06, this is what held me through that difficult moment in 2013, six years ago. In 06, right after I was diagnosed, we had Bob Jones in, who yeah. you talked about earlier, a great prophetic voice in America who passed away on, on Valentine's Day a few years back. And uh, Bob was with us. Bob was a friend of mine, and, and he was there. And, you know, typically when Bob would come to a church, pastors tended to dream or have experiences. Yeah. So I had a dream the night before the conference started, and the dream was I was singing a song in my dream. There's a nightingale in the house. There's a night, and I was standing in front of a mirror with an English tweed jacket on, kind of buffing it, making sure it looked right, you know? And I'm singing this song. And I actually woke up singing this song. And my wife woke up and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm singing. She said, would you go in the other room if you're going to sing? It was like, it's like two, two in the morning, so real, you know? So real. And so I, I, I couldn't go back to sleep because I thought, nightingale, I mean, it's a bird. I know that. So I went down and I Googled it. So I Googled symbolic meaning of nightingale and uh, they pull it up and say it's an ancient om- Christian omen of death and Ooh. so I thought I'm going to die I'm going to die that's it I mean I dreamed it, it Google said it yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen you know? and so I thought so I was, de- I was up all night I'm walking back and forth I'm rebuking the devil I'm doing everything and then we, this conference is starting so I go there I'm probably looking a little bit right, ratted you know and I go in there and Bob Jones says, so how you doing? I said, oh, okay. He said, how'd you sleep last night? You know, as if he knew what happened. I said, well, Bob, not very well. I uh, had this dream, you know, night goes, night goes, house night. I tell him the whole story, you know, and he goes, that's great. I said, I'm thinking, no, Bob, it's not great. I checked with Google. <laughs> it was not great. And he said, no, Nightingale, it's Florence Nightingale. She's the healer. And I thought, uh, <laughs> And so... So I realized, okay, you can pick Bob God. better than Google, I yeah. promise. God or Google, God or Google. So I went with God, and uh, in 2013, when it blew up, uh, that was my ma- mantra, man. I said, there's a nightingale in the house. Friends bought me books on nightingales. I didn't really uh. care about nightingales, but, you know, that guy got me in, uh, a little uh, st- statue thing of it, you know, and it was just, 
So in my darkest hour, I would just say, there's a nightingale in the house. And you know what? The Lord brought me through it, uh, totally cured me. And I'm six years out now. Wow. Yes, God. Wow. That was a long time to struggle. That's not like a little cancer. That was like, what, six years or seven years of cancer? Yeah, it was uh, six years of the non-aggressive and then um, about eight months of the really aggressive stuff. So how... Let me tell you this. So they, so they take, they hit me with chemo for five or six months. Oh. They harvest my stem cells. Normally they would want seven million would be a great harvest. Two million is the minimum. And it takes a week to do it. I went in one day and got 12.5 million wow. uh, stem cells. They, yeah, they said I was a stem cell stud. So that was good. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they take them and they wash them in a chemo or something like that. For a month, they leave it. And then you come back in the hospital and they hit you with the hardest chemo they can give you. And then they bring these stem cells up and it's, in a, it's, it's, less, it's less fluid than this. So I'm looking at it thinking, that's my future right there. And it's dripping down. And my wife and I sat and prophesied over every cell wow. that was coming down through that tube. And they came in and they gave me a, a birthday cake and they said, you've been born again. That's the terminology wow. that they use. And so... Uh, everything changed. I mean, my skin changed. I, uh, I just, once I came out of it and got, and got better, I felt better than I felt in 20 or 30 years. Wow. So I don't know. It was a pit stop. I got, you know, changed and I'm ready to go now. You're born again again. I'm ready to go. <laughs> For the second time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, tell me some things that you're working on right now that we can get involved in. That as I'm, the public. What are you writing? What are you, what oh, are you doing? Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, I, I just wrote a book with Harper Collins. It's coming out two weeks before your book. They asked yeah. me, do you want to be before Sean or after Sean? And I said, before. You, know, <laughs> you can ride on the wave. You know, that's oh, coming. No. And exactly. uh, they said, okay. So it's coming out Labor Day. Uh, that's awesome. In September. And it's your prophetic life map. So it is at 16 chapters on how to use these amazing occurrences that happen in our life to fashion a path for your destiny. And it's so good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I've got a course. I've been doing a course on it for about 20 years. So I put it in the book, revamped the course. And now we're, we're doing a shortened version of the course where people in, in uh, one or two nights can get an idea of, oh, okay, wait, that just wasn't a, a coincidence. That was a, a, a fingerprint of God. In oh my, my life, and so when you start collecting and and connecting the dots of your life, all of a sudden you can see a trajectory. Yeah, uh, God is taking me yeah. to a destination. So you align your tongue because your tongue is the thing that gets you to the yeah. destination. It's the rudder. So you align your tongue to the prophetic uh, meta narrative over your life, and God begins to move you in that direction in a powerful way. Now, how many of you want to read that book tonight? <laughs> I'm like, can we just get the, he could just read out of the book to us and we'd all be happy. That's amazing. <laughs> that is so good. Okay, where do people get that besides the bookstores? Do you have a website? Yeah, stevewitt.com. Perfect. And of course, it'll be on Amazon and everywhere. Well, I'm so glad. Aren't you guys blessed just from hearing the stories? Thanks for having me. Um, this, is, this is exactly what I want on the show. This oh, is good. exactly what I want people to hear. And I, I think, like, I'm growing. I'm really hungry to grow the prophetic. And I just had... I'm taking mental notes. Like if I was in the audience, I'd be taking notes the whole time because there's so many things that I think you just said and you kind of just did your book for us. You kind of helped us to see your narrative and see your prophetic map. 
And I think just telling that helps us to want to do ours and want to see more and map out more for ourselves. So thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, can I just say one, one final do. thing here? It'll be short, but you know, when I was in grade five, uh, we had this project where we were reporting on different places around the world and they passed a basket around. The teacher had put names of countries and stuff like it. And so you pick it out and then you do this, this project on it. So I reached in grade five, I pulled out and it said New Brunswick, Canada. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I, uh, I'd never been to Canada. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in fifth grade. And uh, all my friends were kind of teasing me about it because they were getting all kinds of cool places. And I just thought, okay, so I did the whole thing. I learned everything about New Brunswick, you know, the capital, all the cities, their population, all of it, you know. And then years go by and I'm in my first year of college and uh, they said, well, here, you need to take these core courses. The counselors tell me, and he said, here, here's one. Take uh, geography of the United States. I said, sure, sure, I love geography. He said, checked on his computer, said it just closed out. How about the geography of Canada? Oh, wow. And I said, I'd never been to Canada. And I said, sure, I don't care. I'm just fulfilling a, a core requirement. And uh, so I learned all about Canada. And then a year later when I was at Bible school, I saw a friend of mine talking to this young lady that I was really attracted to. And Woo! I thought, this is an amazing woman. I got to get rid of my buddy here and and talked to her, and so I, I got rid of him. And uh, I, I talked to her, and she had a, a pretty strong accent, you know, and I said, where are you from? And she said, a place you probably never heard of, New Brunswick, Canada. Oh, and, uh, that is so sweet. Yeah, so I told her what the rivers and the capital and all that was, and we ended up getting married a year and a half later. Oh, so. my gosh. <laughs> that God planted that seed in that little boy and was ready to harvest it. And that young man, <laughs> for you, that is amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you finished with that story. I love that God, again, it goes into mapping. God's put so much inside of us that he harvests at just the right time, and it might even have to do with marriage. Who knows? Well, thank you again. This has been awesome. Thanks, you guys, for being a part. Have you been enjoying Exploring the Prophetic? Well, you can enjoy it even more by becoming a partner with Bulls Ministries. Everything we're doing with our podcast is made possible by our incredible partners and financial contributors to our ministry. They are helping us to bring the equipment to upgrade everything we're doing to have the time and space to do this. It's a free offering we give to you. Maybe you're listening in your shower. Maybe you're listening in your car, your workout. Well, I want to continue to do this. I'm going to continue to have these incredible guests tell their prophetic process of how God's spoken to them so you can get a vision of how God speaks to you and also so that other people all around the world can have this resource at their fingertips from their smart device, their computer, their YouTube, whatever they have, that they will have this this incredible resource. So go on the partnership journey with us. As a partner, you're going to receive an email and communication every month from us. We resource you with a partnership page that has literally dozens and dozens of messages that only of our partners have. We also have partnership contribution back to you where we actually give resources. You guys get stuff first. Usually at Christmas time, we have a new book come out. You guys get it before everybody else and you get it signed. I love our partnership program. I love being on the journey with our partners because they are some of our, they're a team, they're our family. They're the ones who are contributing to make this happen. Come be a partner today. Go to bowlsministries.com under giving and membership and you will become a partner.